and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. and welcome to Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet five marketing leaders to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. In 2020, articulating and living a compelling brand purpose has emerged as a clarion call for brand leaders everywhere. Increasingly, sustainability is a vital component of brand purpose. In 1987, the Brundtland Commission advanced a useful definition of sustainability. Development which meets the needs of the current generation without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. This year represents a significant milestone in sustainability history. The United Nations celebrates 75 years. We marked the 50th anniversary of Earth Day and the UN Global Compact turns 20. Over the years, we've witnessed the evolution of companies' relationships with sustainability, starting with a lack of attention, shifting to compliance policies in the 80s and 90s, to the ubiquitous corporate social responsibility report and NGO alliances at the turn of the century, to the strategic quest for positive impact today. In a moment, we will hear about sustainability through the lens of the UN Global Compact and four ambitious brands. To everyone in the audience, please continue to tweet us throughout this conversation using hashtag Future of Branding. Tell us where you are joining from. I know we have an extensive global audience this afternoon. And in a word, how would you characterize your brand or your organization's attitude to sustainability? As ever, I'm joined by five marketing leaders. In a moment, I will invite each of you in turn to share your one word. I will then come up back and have individual conversations with all five. We will conclude with your commitments and then I will do a wrap up and reflections. So let's begin. Dan Thomas is the Chief Communications Officer at the UN Global Compact. Dan is joining us from New York. Dan, what is your one word? Thank you, Margaret. My one word is uh, opportunity. It's an opportunity to contribute to society, but also your bottom line. 
Okay, let's head over to Copenhagen, Denmark, and welcome Philip Engel, Vice President of Brand Sustainability and Marketing at Orsted. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, my one word would be integrated, integrated into the business, the business strategy. Okay, let's go to Dallas, Texas, and welcome Kira Dilly, Vice President at Frito-Lay, a PepsiCo company. Hi, Margaret, lovely to be here. My one word would be purposeful. And now from Texas, let's go to Rhode Island to greet Mark Hanna, the Chief Marketing Officer at Bridgestein, Berkshire Hathaway Company. My one word would be proactive. Uh, in, in acronyms, that's the ESGs and the SDGs. Okay, we'll get according to SDGs momentarily. And finally, thrilled to be joined by Harish Fadke, the business manager to the SVP at RB Healthcare. Harish. Margaret, thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, my one word is optimism, and this is sort of combined with the program in its budding infancy. So super excited about how we're progressing. Okay, so as our audience can discern, we're represented well here across organizations with energy, food, and consumer goods, and indeed jewelry and fashion. So everyone who's at this table has a significant voice to play in sustainability. Dan, let's begin with you. So Dan, you are representing the United Nations Global Compact, the world's largest sustainability initiative, as I understand it, with 12,000 companies based in 160 countries across the globe. You've published 17 SDGs, or Sustainable Development Goals. Catch us up. Where are we on that journey? Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for having me, and, and uh, thank you uh, to the audience for joining us for this important conversation. Um, the uh, I can't take uh, the UN Global Compact can't take credit for the Sustainable Development Goals. Those were agreed by all 193 member states of the United Nations in 2015. Uh, uh, that is a universal agenda, an agenda to make sure we leave no one behind and we advance. The, the goals of the world, 17 sustainable development goals. We have until 2030 to achieve those goals. So we're five years in with 10 years to go. And right now uh, we're not uh, moving fast enough or well enough to achieve the SDGs. So we're extremely mindful that we've got a lot more work to do. COVID-19 has really set us back in a major way but at the same time, COVID has also created perhaps uh, the wake-up call that the world needed to, uh, to really rethink uh, how we live, how we operate, how we consume, how we do business on this planet, and to give us uh, an opportunity to change the way we're doing business, to change the way we work uh, and the way we live, and perhaps put us back on track to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. Dan, where do you see the role for the marketer in this opportunity? Well, thank you. We've, uh, we've, um, we've done a good job for 20 years engaging uh, chief, chief executive officers uh, who sign up to the 10 principles of the UN Global Compact. These are principles uh, for conducting business, uh, incorporating human rights, labor rights, 
protecting the environment and anti-corruption, their UN resolutions and, and agreements that have been made over the years. And we ask CEOs to make that commitment on behalf of their company and then report back every year on their progress uh, on that commitment. Obviously, since 2015, when the Sustainable Development Goals were agreed, all of the, the member states of the UN, we've been uh, really using that as our North Star and encouraging companies uh, to not only be sustainable and principled, but to help uh, the world deliver uh, and progress those sustainable development goals. Um, in terms of marketing, we've, we've done a good job uh, engaging the CEOs of the world, uh, increasingly the chief sustainability officers of the world who are our main interlocutors at the UN Global Compact. Recently, we've done a good job engaging chief legal officers in terms of governance and uh, SDG 16, and uh, also uh, chief financial officers in finding ways to uh, organize the sustainable financing of uh, the SDGs. But it's really the chief marketing officers that we need to go after next and to try and engage them in this conversation about sustainability, purpose-driven business, uh, because the brands of the world uh, are increasingly understanding that uh, projecting their, their, uh, their good intentions, their, their societal goals is just as important as marketing their products. And Dan, how do you measure success? Are there any benchmarks companies can keep in mind? Well, I mean, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals come with 169 specific targets. So there's, there's lots of benchmarks, but at the Global Compact, we, uh, we create uh, uh, programs and projects to help companies to achieve the SDGs by really embedding the goals into their, into their business models. So we have an initiative, uh, SDG Ambition, uh, target gender equality. We have a climate uh, commitment, uh, Ambition 1.5, and also a program to work with young uh, SDG innovators within the organization. Uh, and with those programs, we, we take uh, companies and lead them on a journey to help them really embed those goals into the business, into their operating systems, and give them an opportunity to measure their progress as they go along. Very briefly, Dan, how does a company engage with the UN Global Compact? What is the first step and the best step? Well, thank you. It's a good question. We, we have, as you said, we have almost 12,000 companies engaged but we need many more. I mean, to achieve the SDGs, we're mindful uh, that we need uh, we need you know hundreds of thousands of companies to join this corporate sustainability movement, and to really work with principles to drive societal goals uh, at the same time as as uh, you know improving the bottom line and the resilience of your your business. Uh, it's really a commitment from the CEO. The CEO has to write a letter to the UN Secretary board chair committing to these 10 principles on labor rights, human rights, protecting the environment and anti-corruption. That's what gets them into the global compact. And then once you're part of the UN global compact, we can, we can work with the company, we can provide tools and opportunities to help companies drive their sustainability, their purpose, and to be part of uh, uh, creating the world that we all want. 
Thank you for that, Dan. And to all of you in the audience, we will provide the contact information from Siegel and Gale after this conversation. We see a direct connection between purpose and the SDG endeavors. So thank you for that, Dan. Let's now go over to meet again Philip Engel. Philip at Orsted represents the world's most sustainable, most um, sustainable company, a company ranked the world's most sustainable this year in 2020. Now, of course, that was not always so. Only a decade ago, then Dong Energy was a fossil fuels company and one of the, if you will, least sustainable, um, certainly in the European context. And back in 2008, I recall an op-ed piece where the company proclaimed publicly their intentions around renewable energy. So, Philip, a very bold statement then. Catch us up. Let's begin with brand. What does your brand stand for and how do you link it to this journey? Thank you, Margaret. And it's funny that you mentioned that op-ed from 2008. I wonder how you managed to find that. Uh, and it's funny because I actually helped our former CEO to write that op-ed. That was my first task when I joined the company back then. And since then, it's been uh, one, uh, one interesting ride. Um, our purpose is to help build a world that runs entirely on green energy. And where are you on the journey today? Well, you know, on the, on the journey of building that world, I think there's a long way to go for the world. And obviously, this is not something that uh, we can do alone. We have, uh, we, we, we certainly have to speed up that transformation from fossil fuels to green energy to get there. But if you talk about us as a company, um, we are transforming very fast it's green energy and we are almost 100% green and we almost are 100% uh, well carbon neutral we have uh, set a target to be uh, carbon neutral by 2025 which is very soon and and that is uh, a science based target as it's called so it's it's aligned with the trajectory that science climate science says is necessary to reduce emissions to stay within 1.5 degrees of global warming so you're moving from what was essentially coal-powered generation to offshore and other renewables. Exactly. We're moving from coal, and we also had so coal used on power plants, and we also had oil and gas production, to uh, offshore wind, which has been the, the key driver in our build-up of the new green company, but also increasingly uh, onshore wind and solar and storage and green hydro hydrogen is also something we are looking at a lot. Now, take us back in time and help us understand the drivers of that decision. As I recall, there was imminent deregulation of the energy market at that time. Were there consumer drivers? What motivated your organization to make that bold announcement and to follow through on it? So I think that the main driver, it was that we looked into a future where we thought that climate change would play a still more important role, um, which would mean that having a business model, which was essentially about fossil fuels, would not be sustainable in the long run. Uh, it also did help us that there was some pressure on our business model from that deregulation that you referred to. And it, it was sort of those two main drivers that made us realize that we really had to change. It was not an easy decision. You know, today, when you sort of look back on it and perhaps when you look at, at us from the outside, you know, it may seem like, you know, it's been a smooth ride. But 
it was a tough decision to make and there was a lot of internal opposition back then because think about it you know you suddenly say to to the organization that what you do now which actually we were pretty good at we were we were amongst the best in the world in building and operating coal-fired power plants you should now stop do that you know it's 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 it, it's sort of that that is difficult to accept uh, it's a uh, it's part of people's identity they were proud of this and suddenly they should stop doing that and we should do something totally different that was a big change and you mentioned the context in other words evolution of your business model and the deregulation and the environment at the time what worked do you believe internally to achieve the pace that you have achieved so there's a lot of things you could say about that. I, I think one of uh, two things, um, the first being that once you sort of accepted the fact that you need to change, because this is a big thing, right? This is why most transformations fail. They never get going. So once you ac accepted that, then you have to allocate resources to that change and and you have to be risk willing you can't just say you know let's do some incremental change over here and then we'll see where we are in five six years you have to to go full speed ahead and we did that with taking huge calculated risk but still huge risks in building up our offshore wind business that's the first thing secondly i want to mention to to set some stretch targets stretch targets not one year from now but 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 more than that that helps drive that transformation so let me give you one example uh actually two uh we said uh that was more of a vision back in 2008 we said that in 30 years we would go from having 15 percent green energy uh and 85 percent fossil fuels and we would flip that fraction in 30 years 30 years we achieved that last year actually actually the year before that so so 20 years ahead of time a second example at a point in time 2012 actually we saw that we needed to severely bring down the cost of offshore wind to make it competitive same also happened for onshore wind and solar but we really focused there on bringing down cost of offshore wind now we could have set that target sort of bottom up the engineering way you know trying to find out what can the different parts of the business deliver and then set that target but we did not do that we set the target top down we set a target that we actually did not know how to deliver on in that way, it was stretched. It was stretched, but it was still something we thought could be done. That helps drive transformation. Now, at the time you were a public utility and in, in, the, in the Danish context, and now you're a listed company, um, how has that changed the dynamic? And a secondary question, the role of marketing in promulgating the strategy. So, so it's actually fascinating how um, being a listed company, it, it, how that has changed things. I mean, it's, I think the biggest change has actually come from not the fact that we're now a listed company, but because in many ways before that, we also operated uh, in, in a way uh, that, that was, how should I put it, you know, uh, professional, if you will, with respect to, to, to the markets, um, but the, the capital markets, I mean. But the biggest change has actually been that um, it's, it has sort of, us being listed has coincided with this huge surge in interest uh, from investors uh, in ESG. So, so suddenly there's a massive driver massive interest from our investors uh, in, in talking to us about ESG, understanding how we perform 
and that has been very interesting to to be a part of uh, to 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 see how that has evolved dramatically over the last three, three years so just to make an observation philip it's interesting in a world where a lot of um energy companies are struggling from a capital markets perspective you're doing rather well we we are we are doing quite well uh it's uh we we do we're in the privileged position that that we actually get uh uh, very good ratings also from the rating agencies, uh, the ESG rating agencies, and, and, and the investors uh, certainly think that, that the Oster share is an interesting one. And we can tell that a lot of them, uh, they, they also want to invest in us because they think that it is a, a company with a long-term uh, sustainable strategy. Um, and as for your other questions, Margaret, what it has meant for marketing, you know, I'd say, you know, everything. Pretty much everything. It's it's actually surprised me how much it has meant. It it uh, was something that you could only hope for, uh, and we certainly did that when we built and launched a new brand, the Ørsted brand, when we changed our name and, and, and therefore also redefined our brand platform uh, in 2017. But it has actually exceeded my, my expectations. So so it's sort of uh, it's something that that we leverage across everything that we do um, in, in our marketing towards B2B and our B2G business to government uh, communication and, and marketing, but also towards all other audiences, being it investors uh, or, uh, or, or potential employees. We also live, uh, we also dependent on having the best talent. Um, it's some, something that we, we, we leverage, uh, as I said, also uh, towards, for instance, um, you could talk about the, the, uh, the, the suppliers, uh, it's something that we leverage across the board, uh, and uh, and we see, and it's actually been a, a great, great uh, asset. Well, thank you for that, Philip. Let's now go to Frito Lay, a PepsiCo company, and Kira Dilly is the vice president there, with responsibility for the portfolio of healthier snacks, as well as leading the marketing team dedicated to sustainable packaging in snacking. Fascinating portfolio, Kira. And what's also remarkably interesting about your company is the sheer scale of your reach across North America. So remind us, what was your word and what does Frito-Lay stand for? Lovely, lovely to be here with you, Margaret, and all the panelists. I'm fascinated by what I've been hearing already and incredibly inspired by what you're all doing. Um, I mean, Frito-Lay, as you said, Margaret, is one part of the entire PepsiCo global organization, and each of those parts has a huge role to play in our sustainability journey. My word was purposeful. And I can't emphasize enough how important integrating sustainability and purpose is to our organization. And as you mentioned, we've got an incredible opportunity because we have brands that are known and loved by consumers all over North America, all over the world. And we take it quite seriously that if we can use those brands that are very loved by consumers to actually bring forward a sustainability message and to really drive more purposeful integration into our business strategy, that can be an area that we can uniquely do and how we can champion change in our way. Now, the brands include Lay's, Doritos, Smart Food, and one of my personal favorites, Stacy's. Oh, good. I'm glad you like that one. <laughs> so, so tell us, Kira, where are you on the journey? Wonderful ambition. How are you tracking? 
You know, I really, um, I can really understand when Philippe was talking just there now about how important it is to recognise it is a journey and that we need to put out very ambitious goals, which we have done. And our CEO, Ramon Laguarta, who's a, and a fellow European, like a few of us on the panel, a Spanish man, Ramon is personally so dedicated to this and holds himself accountable, as well as obviously all of us as employees. We are making progress in many, many areas. Um, and it's not just companies like ours. We often, the conversation often revolves around the packaging elements. And that is incredibly important. We take that one very seriously. But areas like agriculture, water, climate, people, you mentioned Stacey's, the work we do, Margaret, for diversity and supporting female founders. They're all very important parts of the sustainability journey as well. And I'd say we're on that journey. We've, we've made some amazing progress in certain areas. You know, one of the, some lovely stats that are very relevant, I think, as consumers, as we were preparing for today, my team, Rachel and Melissa, we've got this one where we, we, we now know that 100% of the potatoes and corn used to make our products in North America are sustainably sourced. That's that's pretty good progress, you know, or the water that we've saved over the last year is enough water to fill 74 Olympic sized swimming pools. I mean, they're stats that we're proud of, but my goodness, we are put us up. We put ourselves under even more pressure to make even more progress and to get there even sooner. And Kira, what do you see as the role for marketing in this journey? Because obviously there's an operations component and an executive leadership component, but marketing and branding in particular. You know, Margaret, I think it has an incredible role to play because we know now more than ever consumers are expecting brands to show up with purpose-led messages. A lot of the institutions that they used to trust, let's talk about political institutions, financial, religious they, the trust isn't the same as it used to be, and they expect brands to show up and do the right thing in the world. So as marketers, we have an amazing opportunity to build meaningful messages on our brands that consumers love, and also really to make sustainability understandable. We can bring sustainability into our homes. We can help consumers take one small step forward. Often we find when we talk to consumers, they feel like it's this big overarching thing, recycling, sustainability, compostable, what does it mean? And really, can I make a difference? The message we take on board very seriously is with brands like Fritos, Smart Food, Stacey's, yes, you can make a difference. You can make a difference every day. And that's, I think, the magic of what marketing can do. Marketing can make it tangible and they can help consumers engage in the journey as well. Yes, indeed. It can seem very abstract at times. Yes. So tell us, has COVID-19 impacted your journey? Have you observed any habits on the consumer side or indeed any of your own strategies? Is it retrenching? Is there more emphasis? Any shifts that are worth noting? Yes, and I, I very much empathize where Dan went at the start when he talked about this is, there is without a doubt, this is a watershed moment, I think. And I think I look at it in both two ways, Margaret. I think that it has prompted consumers, we see that without a doubt, to stop and think, what is going on in the world today? What have we done that has brought us to this stage? And, and is there a, an opportunity to change our course? And I think it's there are positive stories. We look at, you know, the skies over Delhi and we see them clearer than ever. We look at the reduction in greenhouse emissions because we're not flying. And people feel good about that. I mean, they feel that that is a positive change and they don't want to stop. But we also have to acknowledge for many, many people, the reality of COVID has been so challenging. They've been hit economically, financially, health-wise. I mean, 
if when you have had to suffer, how many people have had to suffer across the world, sustainability is probably not top of their agenda in terms of what I need to do to survive the next day, the next week, the next month. But that's where I feel organizations like ours can come in because we have the ability to keep the agenda moving forward. So in our organization, we've said no change and indeed, can we accelerate? How can we keep going and keep moving this forward? Because we believe consumers want it more than ever, even though they may feel a little bit challenged as to how they can make a difference with everything else going on. So I would say it's been an accelerant for us. It's pushed us even harder and it's made us even more committed to driving the changes we've committed to. Well, thank you for that, Kira. Let's now go to Rhode Island, where Mark Hanna, as I introduced earlier, is the Chief Marketing Officer for Richline, a Berkshire Hathaway company, a company that's essentially an integrated producer and marketer of precious metals from alloy production to some of our favorite and most aspirational consumer jewelry brands. So Richline, uh, a stalwart on the sustainability journey. Mark, your word was proactive. Talk to us about your mindset and why your brand has that posture. Well, yeah, we're in an industry that, uh, thank you, Margaret, we're in an industry that is often quite challenged from source, from mining, from both ecological and human rights points of view. And, and um, we looked at that challenge uh, and, and back in 2006, I decided to become very pro proactive, therefore my word, about how we went about uh, both our reputation and, and, and how we practice responsible uh, best efforts and how the industry uh, was led in terms of the offsetting uh, perceived negative is by being very aggressive about uh, solving these issues and addressing these issues and communicating on these issues. So we started what we called Richline Responsible uh, at that point in time, which was a top, right from the top, right from the C-suite, uh, with the idea that this would, um, and, and someone else's word was integrated, exactly that. This would integrate throughout our organization uh, and touch every part of our business. So uh, the first marketing part of it came into our internal uh, a, uh, and creating advocacy inside the company. So we started with, you know, creating beautiful things in a beautiful way. And that kind of became our internal mantra and our internal slogan as to what our goal would be. Uh, we then took that and looked, started uh, addressing all the various aspects of our businesses. Uh, and um, we, uh, today, and we are part of the Global Compact through our uh, our membership in the Responsible Jewelry Council, of which I'm on the board, which was also founded 15 years ago with a lot of the same directions, but specifically for our industry. And then, then you, get, you, you get to the point of, okay, uh, what's material to our business and what's material to our customers and our, our stakeholders? And and you, you look at what really matters uh, and, and um, and we, in addressing that, you know, we, another marketing uh, discussion that we, we created was we're compliant by law, but we need to be responsible by choice. And we need to be able to celebrate that journey uh, of our responsibility and, and be thorough about that and, and be able to communicate it. 
And along the way, you know, we, we really learned a lot. And, and, you know, a lot of these things that we learned from the operations part of our business and, and from the transportation parts of our business, and even, you know, back to the uh, fabrication of materials in foreign lands part of our business, that uh, we, we came, and, and I'm going to add to that, uh, as just was just quoted, some of the market research in this area, uh, you know, that almost every study you see from McKinsey to and Bloomberg down on down is high 60s to mid 70s percentage of the importance of this to the consumer, not just the millennial, but the consumer, especially the post pandemic consumer. So we considered this from the beginning, not just about ethics, but also about economics. A lot of interesting points there. I'm struck by the language, beautiful things in beautiful ways. Gorgeous sentiment for your organization to rally around. So I believe you took both an inspiring approach as well as a very scientific approach. And you have 12 uh, production facilities or operations across the world. You had UL come in and audit those uh, facilities. Talk to us about that process and how you balance the storytelling and the science, if you will. Of course, um, it was very important for us, and I think for everyone, uh, to first uh, get your baseline, um, produce a scorecard about knowing what you really are doing and what you're not doing. So we prioritized not all of the 17 SDGs, but a few of them, uh, responsible consumption, partnership for progress, gender equality, health and safety. Uh, we, we prioritized a few and we asked uh, the UL team, uh, at that time they were called Linderoid's Laboratories, they become UL now, to uh, use their worldwide audit team, which we were already using for other purposes, uh, and evaluate our facilities against those, those five SDGs. And from that, um, we developed, we had quite a scorecard when we found that we uh, were pretty awesome some places and and, and pretty uh, uh, deficient in others in, in, against some of those. So that allowed us to put together a uh, an action plan. And, and as Dan would probably say, it's all about actions. It's, it's <laughs> you can commit all you want, but if you don't do it, it doesn't matter. So it's all about actions. And uh, so we we put together an action plan that we believed in. Um, that would advance us in all those areas that we would be able to have um, the trust and verify part of our, our business very intact. That I'm not just asking you to trust us. Here's the verification. Here's what we're really doing. And here's who's verified it. Uh, so that became important to us. And with that, we grew our Richline responsible presence uh, and, and came to see that it was gigantically important and that uh, that repu our reputation as as a leader, not just in our industry, but in responsible practices, grew, and that became very much our brand differentiation and something that uh, you know we still believe in, and we we hope to continue to enhance it. And very briefly, Mark, tell us about the role of the Richline Responsibility Oath in this process. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, as with the creating beautiful things in a beautiful way, we we wanted to put some detail to that. So we we laid out uh, a number of the most important points dealing with uh, our social consciousness and dealing with our respect for the environment and so forth. And we we made this we distributed this widely uh, to throughout our company. And uh, even the the, the, uh, the follow up on that has been that every uh, two years since we did that, which is, you know, 14 years now that, you know, we redo our uh, code of conduct and ethics for all of our 
for all of our associates everywhere. And we do that as an online uh, training course, and we do that as a questioning, and we do that to show people where we've advanced since the last time we did it. So the code of ethics became uh, kind of the, the foundation uh, of uh, our own self-examination. Uh, and I think that, you know, along the way, yes, there's some pretty good, uh, you know, the, the market comes into this by developing materials, material slogans for our people to carry forward internally and externally. The other one we believe in is it's not about sustainability at our company. It's about the sustainability of our company. And uh, I think that everyone on the panel and, and probably most people listening in today you know, are, are equally uh, encouraged by uh, the importance of responsible practices in today's world and to today's consumer. Let's now go to Arbeen, a multinational uh, consumer products company with health hygiene and nutrition at its core. And I'm delighted to be joined by Harish Fatmi, the business manager to the SVP Healthcare North America. A company that we may or may not know, but brands we certainly do. I grew up with the smell of Dettol. I'm sure many will, I see some head nodding on the panel. Many in the US will be familiar with Lysol, Airwick, and so many more. Tell us your choice word, Harish, and also where you are on that journey. Absolutely, Margaret, thank you so much for having me on this panel today. So I think the word which I had chosen when speaking about our sustainability journey was optimism. And the optimism essentially stems from the fact that we're still in the budding infancy of our journey. The way I look at sustainability is not a on and off switch. It's more like a flywheel where you have to start getting small things happening before it gains momentum to drive a company-wide sort of institutionalization of sustainability principles in any decision, right? So when I look at uh, RB, I've been with the company for almost 10 years. Over the course of the last year under new management, there's been a dramatic shift in terms of how RB approaches sustainability, right? The way I look at it, there are three key facets within which have to interact with each other for sustainability initiatives to be successful. You have to have an economy which is spurred, you have to have the environment which benefits, and you have to have people and society in general benefiting from whatever activities are taking place. So working for Record Benkiza, now known as RB, we find ourselves in a very privileged position. As you mentioned, a lot of our brands are in the front line for the fight against COVID, right? So we start talking about Lysol and Dettol, surface disinfectants. We talk about Mucinex, which is one of the top brands associated with fighting cold flu symptoms and symptoms associated with other prevailing viruses at this point. We do that all such that people can get back to work and are able to be product productive. That spurs your economy. When you start talking about the environment, big steps which the company has taken, but still not enough. We qualified all of our factories across the world to be zero landfill factories. We then made changes to our products. Seeing that the macro trends, and I'm sure Kira will be one to vouch for, e-commerce blowing up, right? A lot of the way we trade on e-commerce is very different from how we trade in store. People don't need fancy packaging. They can get the basic product from home as long as you're delivering on the basic experience. We've seen Finnish 
over the uh, finished dish detergent tablets. We've basically had a massive campaign to save water. It's a funny fact, which I did not know until we, I was working on this. To wash a dish load, a dishwasher full of dishes, you use two and a half gallons of water. If you were to hand wash those same and pre-rinse those, you'd be using 27 gallons of water. It's completely counterintuitive, but it's actually true. So the big thing about us as marketers is how do you drive this awareness? How do you drive this education such that consumers are actually aware of the steps they need to take? And that's a big thing for us at RB is how do we communicate that? One of the other big things, as I mentioned, is how does society and people benefit, right? So I've started playing around with this concept of workforce sustainability. And this is something where you fuel how your employees can be consistently productive over a long period of time. And this is an initiative which is supported very deeply by my leader, Cynthia Chen, who's the senior vice president. So I hope that gives you a little bit about what RB is about and what we're doing from a sustainability perspective. Talk to us a little about your progress on recycling, because that seems to be an important vector for an entity like RB. Absolutely. So RB has taken on a fair amount of initiatives which sort of help with the recycling element of it. We are the largest and possibly the only consumer healthcare company, which is the activator of the US plastics pack. And we've made commitments towards the market saying that by 2025, we all of our plastics packaging, 100% of it will either be recyclable, reusable or compostable. By 2025, we will have 30% of post-consumer recyclable content in all of our plastic packaging. These are big seismic shifts in a giant company making these decisions, but we've put all, we're all in on this and we've put our bets on this thing, right? The other thing is we partner with external lead industry leaders to take some of the material associated with our packaging and actually turn it into material which can be used for construction purposes, material which can be used for secondary building purposes as well. So what we've also done from our commitment to this sort of agenda of sustainability is that we've not restricted any of these activities only to RB brands, but we've opened it up to all of our competitive brands within our categories as well, because we want to stand for something and we want to lead in this particular area. So as I mentioned, you know, the commitment is there. We, I'm, I'm, one thing for sure is I'm going to get in touch with Dan after this to understand a little bit more about the UN Global Compact because I'm quite fascinated with it. So Dan, expect a note from me. But, you know, so we're making, it's, I'm not going to say we're there yet. We're taking baby steps. And I think what's going to eventually end up happening is in today's day and age, we use sustainability and sustainable practices as a means, as a point of differentiation, as a means of a winner. But where I see this going, it's going to become more of a qualifier for you to end up playing the game. So that's where the sustainability agenda, in my opinion, is going. That's, that's fascinating. So your perspective is it'll be table stakes. Absolutely. Very good segue for us to go around the room again. I see a lot of head nods. So let's let's come back to Dan. So Dan, it's daunting, 
when we think about sustainability, Kira touched on this, it's very daunting for people and, and climate change in particular. What gives you most optimism? Well, thank you, Margaret, and thank you to the panel. What a great, uh, great discussion we're having. Um, what gives me op optimism is what I'm hearing from our panelists and from uh, brands and companies around the world is that they want to work together. They recognize their role in society. They recognize their role in creating a, a more sustainable world for themselves, for their stakeholders and, and for consumers. And, uh, and that's why we're, we're reaching out to marketing officers, creating an opportunity for brands to work together, a band of brands, if you like, to market their purpose as companies, you know, under the UN Global Compact brand. This is, this is a first. We've never, really, we've never really sort of done that before. And we, we're keen to show, and they're keen to show, that they're united in the business of a better world. Um, we're finding there's a lot of interest in this. We, we hope to launch uh, uh, this new sort of campaign, United in the Business of a Better World, uh, early next year. And so, you know, all, all of the uh, colleagues on the on the line and, and many listening would be uh, very welcome to join us in, in creating this, uh, this movement and really building this movement, this journey that we're all on and, and that we recognize our, our, our customers, all of our stakeholders want us to be on and they want the private sector to lead. It's no longer only up to governments to to lead the world out of the uh, crises that we're in, a, a climate crisis, a health crisis right now, but also an inequality crisis. It's, it's an opportunity for private sector leaders, for the big brands, the trusted brands of this world, to get themselves engaged in leading the world into a better place. Dan, I feel your passion. What is your personal commitment to driving that sustainability agenda? Well, thank you. I, uh, my personal commitment is, uh, is, is something that we're working on with our events. We convene uh, the world's uh, sustainability leaders in many ways. And uh, COVID-19 has given us an opportunity to rethink the way we do that. We've been doing it online and convening very large numbers of people globally, but virtually. And that has led to a, uh, a reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions of over 98.5%. And so we are committed to continuing to convene people virtually, uh, even when things go back to normal. We recognize that people do not have to fly around the world. They do not have to stay in hotels and take uh, taxis and uh, contribute to global warming in order to get together to talk about these important issues. So we're going to, the Global Compact, and, and that's my team driving that, we're going to convene people virtually going, going forwards and, uh, and really sort of, uh, you know, walk the talk ourselves. Well, thank you for that. And I'm privileged to have had the pleasure of joining a number of those very rich discussions. So, Philip, same question, acknowledging the daunting task that's ahead of all of us, what gives you optimism? It gives me optimism that taking action on, on climate change and sustainability also in broader terms is now seen uh, as the right thing to do business-wise. 
uh, I was part of sort of the first wave of uh, climate awareness back in sort of seven, eight, nine, at least in, in Europe. And, and that died down when the financial crisis hit. And it did so for many reasons, but one of them being that it was very much perceived as something you would do uh, out of a good heart. You know, you would act on climate, it would be out of a good heart, but essentially it would not be in your business interests. That has changed dramatically. Uh, today, you, you you see that companies, they think that this is something they have to do to stay in business. And as importantly, investors, as I mentioned earlier, investors, they are really, really changing the game here. Um, pension funds are committing to net zero emissions by 2050 and putting forward concrete plans on how to do that. You have the big, the big, big firms, I'm talking about Goldman Sachs, Sachs etc., committing to uh, divest from coal, uh, committing to, to, to also change their portfolios uh, and looking into how the lending programs can support uh, a transition also. Sure, it's a movement, we're not at all there yet, but it's really, really taking place and that's a seismic shift. And what is your personal commitment to driving that sustainability agenda? You have a front row seat because you were an early adopter of this vision. Yeah, I mean, you know, on, on the job, it is to to continue to work with my sustainability team to, to drive the agenda forward and in the company. But I think in, in my private life, I guess I would I would mention three things that I've done myself. That, that one of them being that I I've shifted uh, my my pension fund fund, so my my pension I've shifted uh, to uh, a green product. A green product that's very focused, especially on climate, uh, and 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 actually, what's interesting is that those those shares it, it is part shares, part bonds, but actually, uh, my portfolio of sort of green investments they perform better than what I had previously. Secondly, um, I fly less, and if I do have to fly uh, offset. I try to offset that uh, uh, by by investing in, uh, in 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 trees that that then lead to carbon removal. And thirdly, I've really cut down on on consumption of, of meat, notably beef. Not that I, not I, not that I ate a lot of it, but I, I you know, I think as as most people in this part of the world, you know, that there, there, there was a fair share. So really cut down on that, and also uh, trying to to hold back on on pork and, and other types of meat. But but beef is really really the big the big sinner here. I think it's it's a stunning how when you see the charts of of what what the, the it, it means for climate, but also water consumption and land and land use change, uh, that is really something that I think everyone should look into uh, reducing a lot. Um, it's, it's 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 a shame because it's, it can't say it's really good, but I, I I say that once you're sort of on the other side, you know you don't really miss it all that much. Really interesting. Thank you for sharing those very personal uh, anecdotes, Philip. Let's now go to Kira. So, Kira, we touched on how daunting the challenge is around advancing sustainability. What gives you optimism? I sensed optimism in your remarks also. Yes, Margaret, I, I think as, as Irish people, you and I know this, that glass half full is very much our outlook, and it is on this topic for me more than ever. I think the two things I would say that are making me even more optimistic are one, we've touched on it and everybody on the panel has talked about it. Consumers want this. Consumers desperately want us to drive the change and to help them do it. That's a huge pulling power for us as business leaders. So I think that, that gives me huge optimism. I think the other piece for me, and, and Dan touched on it beautifully when he used the phrase, united in a business world. 
this is one of those rare examples where business leaders have the opportunity to come together and collaborate, not in competition, not in a competitive spirit, but actually hold hands and say, we can do this if we pool our resources, if we invest in the right technology, if we share the knowledge and the insights we have as one group of leaders versus a disparate group. So that is a wonderful, I think, opportunity for us to really work differently. And Dan, I, I commend you for that phraseology. I'll, I'll be using that again. And your personal commitment to drive the sustainability agenda at Frito-Lay and PepsiCo, Kira. You know, Margaret, personally, I'm the mom of two little boys who've grown up, I think, much more advanced than we all are in terms of recyclability. We try and recycle everything here. They know how to make compost because we've got a bio bin in the kitchen. I mean, they're growing up with these things as the norm and almost question why it isn't the norm when they hear talked about. So that gives me huge optimism, but also makes me realize I have to take that very seriously because it's my job to help make the future good for them. And then it's wonderful when you have a job that you know can make a difference, that you know that the messages on your brands, the big project we have at the moment is transferring all our snack bags to biodegradable. I mean, that's an incredible opportunity that I have to live out my purpose and my responsibility through my job. So, so that's something that we take very seriously and, and contributes to my optimism. Fantastic. And I know given your scale, the impact will be remarkable. Thank you for that, Kira. So, Mark, I know um, you very well personally for many years, and I know you're a very optimistic individual. So what gives you optimism today on this conversation? What they said, that was, uh, that was eloquent. You know, Dan started it. And really, that's my optimism, that we're seeing a world, we're seeing a business community, not just our industry, but so many committed to, to purposeful action, committed to a, a better world. This is, and, and, and Global Compact, the UN being, I think, an incredible catalyst for this. But that's the optimism, because I see it growing Constantly, I see it growing across industries. I see it growing you know, it, almost everywhere that, that uh, we, we sort of touch the discussion. So that's my optimism that uh, it is happening. And I know you're a board member of the Responsible Jewelry Council. I know you have many other roles. What is your personal commitment to advancing the sustainability agenda? Uh, I think that the best way I can say that is that um, I'd like to be part advocate, manufacturer, marketer of a world where it sees that all jewelry is responsible jewelry, that all precious metal products are responsible products, that they all serve society without the negative. So for me, you know, from speaking to being on boards, to, you know, working with my own company, uh, this is a personal love that I have now developed for this, for this discipline uh, above and beyond my marketing role. Thank you, Mark. So Harish at RB, same question. Um, you, you got us going thinking about optimism. Bring us home. What brings you optimism? Well, for one thing, I think from a corporate perspective, right? I think I'm very, very optimistic where the company is going because under the new leadership, they have a top-down push and a top-down buy-in. I think this is something which Mark mentioned earlier on is absolutely critical for any sort of agenda you want to push, right? So much so we've recrafted our mission statement saying that, you know, we're here to like protect, heal, and nurture in a relentless pursuit for a cleaner and healthier world. Um, 
in doing some of these, right? So one of the big things associated with this mission statement is doing the right thing always, right? So you have the ability and many times you will be faced with decisions saying, are they right or are they profitable? And you have to make that tough decision. And I think that I'm seeing more and more the companies willing to take a hit on the bottom line, but make the right decision. And that's very encouraging for me personally. This is a dramatic shift from when I started in the company to where it is right now. So with the changing times, there's an evolution in mindset as well. And your personal commitment ever so briefly? Oh, my personal commitment. I think my family members hate me for the fact that when I actually went all the way to their homes, took away all of their plastic bags, gave them shopping reusable bags. So starting even at the ground level, just getting that mentality going amongst people is a pretty big deal for me. You know, I mean, living in New York City, I've stopped taking Uber and cabs. I bought myself a little bicycle, so I'm biking around all over the place. It's doing wonders for my waistline as well, but that's a separate one. Uh, but, you know, listen, I think everyone does their little part. You know, I think it's all a cumulative effort. Not one person is going to make the biggest difference. And I think you do what you can. So super well, happy for that. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And in thanking all of my speakers, here are my reflections on today's topic. Much of the business discussions on COVID-19 anchors on the concept of black swans. Essayist and scholar Nasim Nicholas Taleb presents black swans as rare, unpredictable, severe events that we so poorly understand that we run the risk of setting ourselves up to repeat the failure. Simply put, black swans pull us in directions we don't want to go. For us as marketers, John Ellington's notion of green swans is a useful build. Green swans are trajectories that take us exponentially to places we want to and need to travel. Now the question becomes, how do we trigger the positive exponentials and avoid having to cope with the risks and fallout of the negative ones? Our panelists here this afternoon shared some marvelous pathways. A further clue may be found in how corporations have responded to the COVID-19 induced crises. COVID-19 has been character building for brands. This pandemic has lifted the veil to reveal the ways we have been doing business and keeping score, GDP, quarterly earnings, is not fit for purpose. It illuminated myriad dysfunctions, demonstrated the way that we have built businesses and economies and supply chains is very vulnerable and amplified systemic inequities in society. Consumers, especially young people, are signaling to governments and to companies that it is time for change. During this painful period, we have also experienced a positive coming together of communities and companies across industries, sectors and geographies. We are all in this together has been the refrain on everyone's lips. 
the pace at which companies have transitioned, innovated and partnered is both remarkably inspiring and encouraging. Therein lies the clue. The process of understanding our organization's purpose, identifying our capabilities and influence, recognizing the urgency to mobilize, and resetting horizons to the longer term is substantially the same leadership approach required to contribute to the sustainable development goals and sustainability in general. To achieve the necessary impact, there has to be the kind of intentionality, focus and commitment that we heard from the brands on the panel here today. This pandemic and companies' response to it has heightened the conviction that brands can be catalysts for systems change. We are standing on the brink of a new era and marketers have a crucial role to play to nurture the green swans to set on our planet on a more sustainable trajectory. Thank you, Kira. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Philip, Harish, and Dan. We look forward to tracking your commitments as you live out the promises shared here today. Thank you as ever to my production team, led by Alison Carrion and Ashley Noonan, assisted by Mick Smith and Kevin Loftus, researcher Ellen Hawken, blog editor Daniel Alonso, designer Gisem Garatis. If you enjoyed this conversation, which I hope you did, we will drop it as a podcast next week. Look out for how CMOs commit on your podcast platform, and I invite you to share it with your colleagues. You are all invited back for our next Future of Panel, panel, panel excuse me, on November 18th on Wednesday at 12.30, when I will be joined by five CMOs and their parents for a special edition of Future of Branding Silver Economy. With that, on behalf of everyone at Siegel & Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.